Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Rebecca from Ealing in West London. And you're listening to my favourite show, The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome one last time this French Open fortnight to Tennis Podcast Towers Paris. And thank you to Rebecca Monk, who very ably introduced our show there. Rebecca, you sound very much like you could be reading the news on BBC Radio Berkshire or something similar. So I don't know if this is your first intro rodeo. Uh, if it is, then wow, you you are to the manner born with podcast intros. So thank you very much for that. And if you, dear listener, would like to get yourself an intro, a shout out, just become a friend of the pod, then the link to do that is in our show notes. And Rebecca gets to have her intro on the podcast where we talk about history being made because Novak Djokovic is the clubhouse leader in the Grand Slam race. He has 23 major titles. That very well may end up being the number in terms of men's Grand Slams. Of course, though, David, if we know anything about Novak Djokovic, it's that he ain't stopping there. And he made that very clear in a in a really wide-ranging press conference, um, which... I really enjoyed being at actually some sometimes that they they've been a little fraught uh, when he's won the title because he's defiantly railed against criticism uh, you know I mean look at some of the things that have happened involving him over the last few years and and in Australia it was it was really quite tense after the things that were reportedly said by his father or, or and the photo that was taken of his father and his subsequent complaint that he, he he didn't enjoy that process at all and he had the injury and he was on the on edge and that was a different feeling to this completely but what was without question is that he's feeling good he knows that he's he's aging and that he has to handle his body a bit a bit differently but he thinks there's a lot more to come and 23 now, I mean, I'd, I think he could win a handful more. Yeah, I think 23 feels like a stop on the way to his ultimate destination rather than the finish point. Uh, and I, I, was, I sort of had a question in my mind that I wanted to ask him about, well when he won Roland Garros for the first time 2016 and that was the fourth slam that he'd won in a row and there was this sense of Djokovic finally accomplishing what he wanted to accomplish and he was very open after that about a dip in motivation and I sort of wanted to know whether he had thought about whether that might affect him again you know he's finally got ahead of Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer on his own. 
And he just answered that for me by everything he said about how motivated he is and how keen he is to keep playing this sport while he's at the top of it and winning all, all the major events. And yeah, he is, he is not stopping here. He is, he is coming for so much more. And I would be very, very surprised if we see a crisis of motivation now like we saw seven years ago. And that all gives us a lot to talk about in terms of Novak Djokovic winning this title, reaching 23 major titles. Before we do that, I feel like we should talk about the match, the final, Kasper Ruud's part in it all. Before we do that, I have news. Oh, yeah. It's news about your sponsor, Matt. So listen up. Oh, excellent. (laughs) This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Wilson. Providers of the official ball of Roland Garros and, as previously discussed, most of Matt's wardrobe. The Wilson Roland Garros tennis ball is designed specifically for the famous famous clay courts of Roland Garros, boasting a core designed for longer rallies and a felt that limits moisture and dirt pickup for peak consistency during gruelling points. The Wilson Roland Garros ball produces performance fit for the zenith of the clay court season. I'm going to miss saying zenith of the clay court season. I've loved that. In addition to the equipment provided for the tournament, Wilson and the FFT have a range of co-branded premium Wilson and Roland Garros products that you'll you'll probably see Matt sporting in in the weeks ahead. Um, Just just casually modelling for Wilson. Um, uh, they combine elegance and high performance, including tennis balls, rackets, string, tennis bags, and accessories. And if you've been listening to the podcast throughout Roland Garros, you'll know that we have been running a prize draw for two lucky tennis podcast listeners to listen to for two lucky tennis podcast listeners to win one Roland Garros bag for nine, count them, nine rackets. You'll have to provide eight of your own, but the prize package does include one Roland Garros <laughs> edition racket, either a Blade 98 or Clash 100, one pack of Luxalon Roland Garros string, and two cans of Roland Garros clay court balls. And I can now announce our winners. da 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 they are Sam Kaplan from London, England. Good to specify exactly where London is, always. Uh, Denis Shapovalov might struggle with that if he's listening. <laughs> Famously couldn't identify Europe in an ATP video. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Mm, they really sticked him up putting that <laughs> they, out. They did. I should say it was me who wrote England after London. Not, Thanks, David. Not, not Sam. I appreciate it. So it's not it. his fault. Uh, and our second winner is Peter Ginn. From Melbourne, Australia. Yes, I've done it again. Thanks thanks for the helpful reminder, David. Uh, And Peter says he hasn't won a competition since he was 12. And that was a pancake parlour colouring competition. Very confused about why you're colouring pancakes. But anyway, (laughs) uh, and he didn't even like pancakes. Right. What a weird tale, Peter. Anyway, this story ends brilliantly because Peter has won one of those two prize packages, as has Sam. Congratulations to you both. Those prizes will be winging their way to you shortly. Thank you to Wilson for being our partner throughout this French Open. And congratulations for creating um, tennis balls, producing performance fit for the zenith of the clay court season. Yeah. There you go. I've got to say it one more time. Now... Onto the match, the match, the match, the match. 
766375 for Novak Djokovic. Is it too simplistic to say the match was the first set? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it is too simplistic. Uh, and, you know, Rude got off to a great start. It was actually quite similar to the match that Djokovic played against Karen Hatchinov, facing a really good opponent who's got a bludgeoning forehand and decent other elements of, of his game as well. Kasper Rude's a slightly better player than Karen Hatchinov. Not that much better, I don't think, but he is better. I mean, three Grand Slam finals will tell you that. Um, and he, I think he moves better. Um, and Djokovic was tight, really tight. He was stressed. In commentary, Anna Barcroft was saying he looked disheveled. You know, he looked, he looked a bit of a mess, to be honest, he, because he was hot and bothered, red in the face. His hair, hair was a bit scruffy for him. His, he, he took two or three tumbles on the clay. You know, he was losing his foot and he went down on his back. He's covered in clay. He kept doing his Jocko smashes. Yeah, I mean, he was missing smashes all over the place. And Rude was good to his word. He brought it. He was hammering his forehand. He was moving well. He was hitting his backhand, and he has for the last three rounds. Better than I've ever seen him hit his backhand. He was sometimes attacking with that shot down the line. You know, in a, in a rallying situation, he was the one who would inject the change-up. So everything was going Rude's way. He's got, he gets a break of serve. He has chances, and he doesn't take them. And Djokovic reeled him back in. And then, and then it went to a tiebreak. And there was a moment where Rude had Love 30. I think, was it 5-all, Love 30? Yeah. And at that stage, it looked really good for Rude because he's playing probably as well as I've ever seen him play. And Djokovic isn't there yet. And then the moment Djokovic held on, it went into the tiebreak. And I remember getting a message from you saying... This is probably over now <laughs> because Djokovic has got it into a tiebreak. I think I, there was no probably. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, and that's the situation, isn't it? We've become so used to what Djokovic does to people in tiebreaks and then follows because he's released, in his words, in the second set. What chance have you got? And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. The match wasn't even the full first set for me. The match was up until six all in the first set and then it felt over that it didn't even occur to me that he wouldn't win that tie break that he wouldn't win it conclusively convincingly as he did once again no one forced errors once again shot making in that he's not only going into lockdown not making errors mode he's also in producing screaming winners that he hasn't even been attempting for the whole set up until that point mode it's. I know he's explained it to us as best he can, what happens to him in those tie breaks and the intense, the intense place he has to take his mind and the fact that it's not something that even he, possibly the most mentally strong tennis player there's ever been, is able to maintain for more than tie breaks worth. And yet still, it my mind boggles mm. what he does in tie breaks. He has changed the sport. Yeah. He's played 55 points in tie breaks this tournament and not hit a single unforced error. And it's not because he's not going for stuff. He's still going for it. And as you said, he's, he's, he's locking down his game while also 
increasing the precision and finding the winners when he needs to. And in the tiebreak, what he did was he won three very long rallies in that tiebreak. And he'd been losing the long rallies in that first set. Rude had had the better of them. Rude was brilliant, I thought, in that first set. The best I've seen him play in a Grand Slam final for sure. Uh, he hit a tween a lob and won the point at one stage. I mean, Casper Rude was absolutely bringing it. And yet we all knew that when it got to that tie break, Novak Djokovic was going to be the one who, who won it. And it was honestly the energy in the stadium shifted. Djokovic has changed his own energy. He Exactly as you described, he hadn't looked right that whole set. And just the scoreboard ticking over and taking it into a tie break he changed. He was a new man. And it was incredible to witness. I genuinely don't know how he does it. I don't think anyone really knows because otherwise they would all they'd be, be doing they, it. They'd be all be trying to do it. But it is it is unique to him at the moment. I, I asked Casper Reed about how much the Djokovic tiebreak situation was in his head going into that match because surely you've got to be thinking there's a good chance of playing tiebreaks. You've got to I guess be hoping that there are there are tie breaks because you know with the best will in the world you're probably not expecting to go out there and win six three six four six two are you against Novak Djokovic? So I wondered if it was like penalty shootouts in knockout football, sort of a call from the manager about how much time you spend preparing for them and is it really possible to prepare for them because you can't recreate the stress and the tension and everything and. He sort of said he was aware of Djokovic, Djokovic's tie-break record, but not as aware as we all are, I don't think. And maybe that's the right thing, to not get in your head about it. But equally, <laughs> he didn't do anything different in the tie-break. Maybe there's nothing you can do, I don't know. But I think that's the problem. Really, he had to not be there in the first place. Yeah, he, he had he had his little he had his chances. He did, and he, I was so impressed with him in that set because he did he played brilliantly. He was brilliant, and we've seen him be brilliant before. I didn't feel like he was hanging on. I didn't. I wasn't quite honest. Quite often in these matches with Casper Ruud playing higher ranked opponents, when he does have spells of playing really well. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop because I feel like in his bones, he doesn't believe he's as good as them. And his backhand often lets him down. Yeah, and his backhand was brilliant. I mean, I don't quite know how. I remarked to Matt, it makes a completely different sound off the strings to his forehand. It sounds like a, a you're hitting a shuttlecock with a badminton racket. It's a really stringy, thin sound, whereas his forehand makes this huge thwack that resonates through the stadium. But actually, it was staying hit, that backhand. He was feeling confident on it. He was going for winners, but he seemed to be pulling the trigger at the right time. So impressive. And I didn't feel like he was hanging on for dear life, thinking, oh my God, I'm absolutely at my limit. How long can I sustain this for? So I don't feel like he threw away that advantage that he had in the first set. But But he also needed to capitalise on it. Hanging on for a tie break... He's not a play. He's mm. not a play and, against and, Djokovic. And it felt like he had the physical edge in that first set. You know, it was over an hour, that first I think It was an hour and 12 minutes. No, an hour and 20 minutes, I think, the first set. And 
if Rude maybe had one advantage over Djokovic, it was that he maybe felt he could keep going at a full pelt for hours and hours, whereas we know that Djokovic can conserve energy. He, he's an absolute master at doing it. I, I wouldn't say it was maybe a big advantage for Rude, but it felt like he was trying to take Djokovic's legs away, and yet the only way that was ever going to work was if he won that first set. He, he, everything was on it. We know how good Djokovic's record is after winning the first set, and we know, exactly as David said, that he releases after he wins that first set and goes into this really efficient mode. He was, he was relying, Djokovic, on his toughness, on his experience in that first set. And then once he won it, the game opened up. And I know this is, this is giving Daniil Medvedev just to start banging on about Novak Djokovic's forehand. But the way <laughs> oh. his forehand took over that match after Unreal. that first set was unbelievable it was like he wanted rude to come at him with his forehand yeah, yeah. come on he, he yeah he was playing into forehand. it wasn't he he was not Bring attacking the backhand unbelievable because as much as that we shot just become. you know um praise the backhand it's still nothing of what the forehand is that forehand is such a weapon and Djokovic was baiting it with his own forehand it was and especially given the contrast, he just wasn't hitting his forehand like that in the first set no. at all. It wasn't staying hit. He didn't have the conviction in it. It almost felt to me like he didn't have the strength in his body to hit it like he was a couple of days ago against Alcaraz. Potentially the conditions were a factor in that. It was so heavy and dense. It was making me feel a bit woozy, the conditions. Yeah, stuffy, wasn't it? Um, it was so stuffy. There has this evening been an absolute deluge of rain which don't we know Matt, and, <laughs> Matt and David got we got stranded got at marooned. Yeah, yeah marooned we're, we're on an f- island flash floods um, but, and it did the whole day felt pregnant with that yeah. water that eventually fell didn't it but the thing is with Djokovic it is about that release it's not about physical strength it's not about even the conditions it's about how he's feeling at a given time now the the conditions can contribute to that, of course. But once he won that first set, he just put his bag over his shoulder and walked off the court. Just and and Kasparud followed, which is what you know what they do. And he had five minutes, and he came back out, new kit on, and he looked like he'd just been on a spa weekend. You know, he got <laughs> even got the towel over his shoulder. He looked so fresh, so clean, so neat and tidy again. The opposite of everything he looked in the first set, and then he played like it. And it, and it was like the third set against Hatchinov the other day that had me... It's, my mouth is on the floor watching this. From up high, where we are in the commentary box, I can't tell you how arrow-like every stroke looks because you can't even see the, tra- the trajectory. You, it's just like watching a, a computer game from up above. And he's, he's taking Kasparud on and he's just dominating him. And Rude's playing well. This is the thing with Hatchinov. They're playing well, and they can't get anywhere near him. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether whether he's getting better, but it feels sometimes like he is. Um, he did. He did well, Kasparud, to hang with. I know this is damning Kasparud with faint praise, as we always do. But I really was impressed with how he competed in that third set. It did feel inevitable the dam bursting to me in the end because of the relentlessness of of Novak Djokovic and how he was playing but the fact that Rude was in that set and making you 
I, I don't want to speak for you, but even have thoughts of, okay, well, if he, if he did take it to a fourth, then maybe the physicality comes into it again. You know, he is 36 after all, and he well, did the... look 36 in that first set. You, I at least started to have those thoughts. I didn't think they were, that scenario was probable, but he allowed us to have thoughts of that match getting more interesting. The Medvedev match came into my mind because he looked so stressed in the mm. first set, just as he did that night. But it passed. The moment he won that tie break, he didn't look stressed anymore at all. Mm. Yeah, and I think Rude got to love 30 in a, in a service game in in that third set on, on Novak Djokovic's serve. And yeah, I was having the same thoughts. Maybe Rude can can push this into a fourth and make it awkward and maybe that would start to bring out the the stress that we saw from Djokovic in that first set again but Djokovic went into tiebreak mode pre-tiebreak it got to five all and it was almost like he said I want to I want to preserve my zero unforced errors in 55 <laughs> tiebreak points so let's just let's just not even play another tiebreak I'll just go into that mode now and he won 11 points in a row broke serve held serve broke and then you know he was he was falling love up when he was serving it out and he lost one but you know it was just an acceleration right at the end of the match and the celebrations after winning the match were quite something weren't they we we've seen such a spectrum of Novak Djokovic victory celebrations at Grand Slams haven't we? And this was definitely at the, not quite at the Incredible Hulk shirt ripping open Australian Australian Open level of things, but definitely closer to that than the Wimbledon, I'm not going to give you any celebration at all end of things. It was, he made it very clear both on the court, in his speech, in the press conference afterwards, in everything he did after match point this is everything to him. I think he looked probably the happiest I've seen him when he's won a Grand Slam title. Not just uh, not just relief, not just proving points wrong. and having, It didn't look like it had been a, a trying fortnight for him the way he'd had in Australia. Um, and when he went and... And the thing is, his kids were both there and they're both old enough now to understand what's going on and... And they're all there and his family and his mum and dad were there and there hasn't been any hassle with his dad this time. And, and all, you know, to be honest, he loved being surrounded by Tom Brady in his, co- in his box, the great quarterback. He liked Kylian Mbappe being there and Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Olivier Giroud. He loves all that. And why wouldn't you? You know, if you're one of the all-time greats and you've, you're surrounded by all-time greats, you've, I, th- I think they feel a bit giddy like kids themselves and so I just think suddenly for the first time ever he's overtaken Nadal and Federer and he was at pains to to be respectful to them in the press conference and he didn't want to sound like he's saying he was asked what's it like to be the greatest of all time that's what he was asked directly and he said I just don't I don't want to have that conversation I that is not for me to say and I, I want to be respectful to other people in other areas and everything they did and everything they would have gone through. But just in his eyes and in his body language, it was one of just happiness this time. And I, and I felt that was a bit different to anything I've seen before. And I, and I was kind of felt happy for him that he seemed happy again. Remember that 
voice note that Hannah did for our friends show after Australia where she just she felt bad for the struggle and the toll that it had clearly taken and I had been feeling that earlier on this tournament because I felt like the early press conferences here were a real continuation of that they didn't feel like you know a man paving a a path towards something that would bring him true true joy it felt like a grim march towards a fulfillment of need and I know that great champions are complicated people it's not just and generally emotions don't work like that it's not pure happiness there's an awful lot more going on there but I was so pleased to see him really feel the joy of it in that moment yeah and it it felt to me like everything in Novak Djokovic's life, certainly his professional life, had, had kind of been leading to this moment. Seeing him standing there while the Serbian national anthem was playing mm. and how how pleased he was. He sang it. He sang it. And then in the press conference, he gave this great detailed answer about all the sort of people who have been really... Uh, important in his tennis life and you know he was talking about Nikki Pilic and Yelena Gengcic and his parents and all the people who have just along the way have got him to where he was now and I was just thinking you know he is now at the top of the men's game on his own in terms of most slams most Masters 1000 events most weeks at number one he's got the winning head to head against his big rivals Any, every single statistical category Novak Djokovic is, is leading now in terms of all the ones that, that really matter and he has been open about how important that is and we know that that means a lot to him and this was him arriving at that moment and it honestly we we don't write off Rafael Nadal. We, you know, we know that there's... That's a policy. Yeah, exactly. And yet what I'm about to say, given what Djokovic can still achieve, it feels like checkmate. It feels like he has won. And now it's about how much he wins by. And I just think he, he sort of seemed to appreciate that moment and realise it and relish it and enjoy it. And I was pleased he did because... It has all been leading up to this. If it had all, if there'd been a darkness to it, like there was throughout this tournament in the previous press conferences and in Australia, that wouldn't have felt right. And now he gets a stretch. Who knows how long it will be? Could be forever. Could be the remainder of his career. Rafael Nadal is such an unknown. But now he gets a stretch not being defined by the others. Yeah, which he's true. never had before. He, he said, I've spent 15 years <laughs> with them on my mind, mm. Nadal and Federer. <laughs> and he said it in an, he, a nice way, in a way. He wasn't trying to... It, it just... It, being in the room, you, you got the sense of what he meant. It, they, of course they've been in his mind. Bec- and, and let's be honest, he, this is the first chance that he's had to to be able to say to everybody unequivocally or, or to prove to everybody that he is what he always w- wanted to be is one of them in his own right i they've got their own thing they don't need that record federer didn't need to win the most to be loved and appreciated and respected and so forth nadal has 
I don't think he's that bothered. He's always he's got this very straightforward mentality of just competing hard and seeing where I end up. And whilst Novak Djokovic, I think, has a bit of those in him too, he was just always in their shadow until he could come out with his results like this. And now he he's there, and he, they can't. Nobody can argue with it. And I don't I don't get the sense that he's rubbing it in anybody's face, or there's a defiance in that way that maybe the some people m- might make out that he he just looked content. He looked content for the first time in in a press conference, and I I, I thought that was good to see. And the way I see it, there are two two things missing from you, you listing there the sort of unequivocalness, unequivocality of his records and their greatness, their unparalleled greatness. There are two things missing. There's the calendar slam and there's Olympic gold. Mm. Oh, yeah. And both Olympic are feasible gold. within the next 13 months. Yeah. Oh, he's he's gunning for both. Mm. I'm absolutely sure of it. I mean, yeah. And also, it just feels so achievable. <laughs> and yet they're, they're two massive things, you know. And he's won, he's won 20 of his last 21 major semi-finals and he's won 15 of his last 18 major finals like he is getting better in the biggest moments like as like you were talking earlier about his about his game like he used to play a bit differently and i don't know whether now he's better or worse really certainly doesn't feel like he's any worse but he's what he is better at than he ever has been is winning when it matters and focusing on the events that he wants and yeah he's he's won two slams this year losing what one set in each of them he just he isn't really being yeah he's come up in conversation an awful lot today and he won a tie break against Djokovic last man to win a tie break against Novak Djokovic at a slam was Enzo Enzo Kouakou French guy yep yeah who, I don't think he even played this French Open, I, I did he? I don't think I've heard of him since. <laughs> I commentated on that. Yeah. By the way... And, and, sorry, I was just going to say, like, he's, he's going to go into Wimbledon where, unless Sam Querrey comes out of pickleball <laughs> and comes back to tennis, the only guy in the draw who would have beaten him at Wimbledon is Andy Murray. Just won a challenger. Imagine if they placed each other in about the third round. The British press were desperate to get Novak Djokovic <laughs> quotes on what he thought about Novak Djokovic winning in Serbiton, but they about didn't go there. Andy Murray. About Andy Murray winning in Serbiton, but they didn't go there. They thought, probably not the time in Novak Djokovic's... <laughs> Although if he was in a great mood, he probably would have waxed oh, lyrical honestly, about... Honestly, you, you, he didn't need questions. You, you, <laughs> you, he just needed pointing in the right direction, and he was off on his own yeah. journey with those answers. But the, the, Goran Ivanisevic also did a press comments, and... And he actually gave a little bit of insight that I, I haven't heard before. He said, there was a, it was a great question from Matt Futterman, who said, um, why do you coach him? You know, kind of like, he's the perfect player. What do you have to do? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, he's never happy. He's never happy on the practice. He says, he always wants to work on something. He says, out of the blue, he'll tell you, there's something wrong with my backhand. We need to work on my backhand. And they're all like, 
What are you talking about? Your backhand's fine. <laughs> we don't need to yeah, do anything with it's that. It's been fine for 15 years, yeah. Novak. Calm down. <laughs> and he says, so, okay, so we work on the backhand. We fix the backhand. And he goes, something wrong with my serve. And he says, it's like this every single day with Novak Djokovic. And um, that's the standards and the, the kind of obsessiveness that he has about getting it right. Oh, sounds exhausting. Well, I think it has been. <laughs> I, and I mean, look, you know, Djokovic says I put them through a lot. And I, I do think they've been on edge to some degree backstage and they live in their bubble and all the rest of it. It's you, That's why they have this massive release. I think sometimes we from the outside can think, why are you that excited? You've just beaten Kasparud and you're clearly better than him. Why is everybody so so overjoyed in this kind of celebratory way? But actually they have just... It's The reason that it works is because they don't take any of it for granted. They're just locking themselves away and going through their routines every day. Last thought, shall we, for, for poor old Kasparud, who really was upset, I think, after this defeat. I think more, he seemed more upset to me, certainly, than the defeat in last year's final. I think also the the uh, the US Open final as well, perhaps because of how close that first set was and the fact that there were missed opportunities and how well he was playing and all those stratospheric celebrities there for his opponent, you know, he's just, even if it were Casper Rude going for tennis immortality, I still don't think he'd be the guy to have, have Tom Brady in his box. You know, he's just not that guy, is he? And it was just, it was all so, I don't know. I really felt for Casper Rude. Do we think he will come back and win one of these? One day. I increasingly think he will. I mean, Hannah tweeted a stat, I think it was the ATP had, had, had provided it, that every man in the open era who's reached three slam finals has ended up winning one. Oh, right. And, which I thought was quite interesting because you might think it's just too much baggage. But actually, it maybe feels like a marker of that's how good you are. You know, it's one, mm. one you might get to and, maybe, you know, maybe not a fluke, but a draw breaks or whatever. Maybe possibly the second time as well. But three slam finals is, is very serious. And, and, and Rude said that himself, didn't he? He said, I feel like this is my most important final. This mm. is really proving that I'm here. And honestly, outside of Djokovic... Obviously, Alcaraz is ahead of Kasper Ruud. I don't think anyone would argue that. But Ruud and Medvedev, I would say as well. But Ruud's probably making a case that, sure, Sitsipas might have had more hype and Runa's probably had a lot more hype and Yannick Sinner and they've maybe got bigger, flashier games. But they haven't had the consistent results at majors that Kasper Ruud's put together over the last year. And... If Djokovic has shown anything, you know, how, you, how you do it at majors is, is what counts. And he's, he's performing the best at the moment. And, you know, in his words, if he can just get someone a bit more beatable in a final, then, <sighs> then I, would, I would back him. Yeah, look, watching the match today was the first time I thought this guy looks like he could be a Grand Slam champion. The first time I really, really believed that watching Kasparud and thought... Yeah, he should come come back one day and win this thing. 
I didn't love that beatable line. I knew you press, And I know it's, it's so it quintessentially Casper Rude. And he's a lovely guy. It was a great press conference. He really speaks well, so openly, never defensive, even in his honest, lowest, most vulnerable moments. Yeah, it was a really good press conference. I just didn't love that line. I want him to go, I can be as good as them, even if he can't. You're a three-time Grand Slam finalist now, Casper. Three of the last five Grand Slams. I think the, like, the, the difference is today he played really, really well. He didn't play. Yeah, really and he came well. up against the greatest of all time. And I think, I think, therefore, I think that probably shakes him really. And he, and he, he knows that if he plays his best, and he happens to be up against Djokovic, who's on, he ain't going to win. And that was proved today. I think it. Not that he won't keep trying, because he might not be on it. But on isn't that day, for us know? to think? For us to be objective about it? It's the whole thing about the level of delusion that's required in great great champions you've got a Holger Rune isn't thinking that is he but I, th- I think when you've just taken a straight sets defeat half an hour earlier maybe it's more difficult to be upbeat <laughs> about next time but I do th- and- I think that is how Kasper Ruud feels all the time and, and it's, it's a tricky balance like is Holger Rune thinking that is that holding him back from even Absolutely. getting there in the first place. Yeah, as much as I love to hear it, and you know, when he says, I want to play Djokovic, I love that. But he, Lost he, to Kasparud, mate. Well, I know, I know. Yeah. I just you, instinctively you need, want to hear them say... You almost need Kasparud's attitude to get to the final, and then Holger Runa's <laughs> in the final. Yeah. I think yeah. You'd, the thing is, you'd need somebody else's game I yeah. just Kasparud ain't beating Novak no. Djokovic if Novak Djokovic is on it just isn't happening no well no one is right now um, no but I mean but he wasn't just talking about Djokovic to, to answer your earlier question I do feel now whilst he doesn't stick out to me as a favourite for a Grand Slam because I'm always underestimating him because I'm assuming everything's equal and everybody else has got a chance but if he's still there and they're all falling by the wayside as they have and he ends up the last man stand, last two men standing, which he's done three times and that's no coincidence, then absolutely he can win one of them if he just gets a bit of luck and the other bloke isn't one of those two. Or you know, I think what it is, and this is absolutely not Casper Reed's fault, but it's that given the age of these greats, we have had a decade of hotly tipped players kind of waiting for Djokovic, Nadal and Federer to step aside, to fall by the wayside. And two of them have, one permanently, one maybe permanently, but the other one isn't going anywhere anytime soon. I think I have fatigue of that hanging around and waiting for them to go attitude. As much as it logically makes sense, I, mm. I, I respond to as delusional as they might be, players going, no, that's the bar. I'm going to wait for that bar. Yeah, it, it is good to hear Runa when he's bigging himself up and all the rest of it. Um, I, I, it sometimes passes me by how young Kasper Rude is. I mean, mm. he's only 24, so he's got, in theory, quite a few years, and he might, you kind of should hopefully still have enough of his peak left when Djokovic has decided to hang it up. Um, 
It's going, it is it is an interesting time though, and it, and it will be interesting to see because I've used the word content about Djokovic whether there will be any sort of waning of the the, the fierceness of the. I think it's a very well timed Olympics for Novak Djokovic in yeah. terms of, I mean, I think the calendar slam will keep yeah. him Agreed. keep him dialed in for this this year one hundred percent unless something bizarre happens at Wimbledon I mean he feels such a heavy favorite there I could imagine if he were to lose at Wimbledon the air going out of the US Open a bit certainly or a lot even um, but I think the calendar slam will keep him dialed in this year and I think the Olympics next year is very well timed mm. for him and, and he also he also always starts the year so well in Australia <laughs> yeah. so like yeah, well, that gets him we'll going make that prediction every now yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable! What, what a champion he is! Just an outrageous tennis player. He's, he's it's not normal what he does. The the mentality is not normal. He's so much better than I realised he would be, um, both as a player and as a champion. Because I just didn't seem possible that he would still be able to do this at this level and have this, especially after he had his 2016 kind of Crash. slump, mm. slump of yeah. motivation, self, which he admitted and, and acknowledged. Is Sam Query going to get another mention? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Well, but, well he just, just did. did. Yeah. <laughs> Twice in one podcast. Too many. Right. We have some other quite important business to tidy up. But before we do that, the women's doubles final was played today, first on Chatre, and it was won by Shea Su Wei and Wong Jin Yu. So the Our Mate Dave redemption arc has <laughs> been completed. They came back from a 6-1 first set to defeat Leila Fernandez and Taylor Townsend, 1-6, 7-6, to win their first doubles title as a pair. Shea Su Wei, um, an, an incredible comeback story. I mean, she was... I didn't realise she was planning to to come back. She just had been totally in the wilderness for a number of years. And, yeah, Wong Junyu exited the tournament love and love to Iga Shiontek. So what an end to her time in Paris. There were really, really moving scenes on Chatrier after this match, weren't they? With Leila Fernandez being utterly distraught at losing that match, having had the advantage that they did seemingly in the driving seat, 6-1 first set, being right in that second set. And Taylor Townsend, who is one of the great grown-ups in the room and a great tennis player as well, um, comforting her and giving her a David Law-esque pep talk. It was real scenes. Yeah, yeah, it was great, actually. Um and 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 I did feel sad for them, um, but yeah, Taylor Townsend is just good news mm. all round for the sport, f- as in terms of a, a viewing experience. I like that expression. She's the grown up in the room. She's just. I feel like a lot of people on in the tennis locker rooms could learn a lot from her about life and and perspective and. Um, it's, I'm just really glad she's found a way to return to the sport. But that is a, that is a tough loss, isn't it? Mm, yeah. But they only started playing together this season. I think yeah. it's all come as a bit of a surprise to them how well it's gelled. So for them to be having this kind of success is 
fantastic and I hope it feeds into both their singles results. I know Taylor Townsend is creeping up in the singles. She's starting to factor in again. I would just love to see her a proper factor in the game. She's oh, she's such a good watch. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me and Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. So congratulations to Shay and Wong for winning the women's doubles title. Now, you might have noticed that a, a theme of this tournament, which we have absolutely loved covering, we love the French Open we love being here we love so much about it but the sexism of it all and in particular in relation to the schedule is a weight on us throughout this fortnight and you hear that in how much we talk about it we we sort of unburden ourselves on the podcast don't we because it is important it is important and it is it has been a major feature of our fortnight here and it was a major feature of our fortnight here 12 months ago as well particularly following 
the press conference that I attended with Amelie Moresmo, where she talked about the lack of attractivity in the women's game. She subsequently asked to to clarify those comments with me, and she did it a, a little. But she kind of said, look, I'm new to this. Judge me in a year. Let's see what can be done. Um, and she stated her intention for the situation with the the imbalance scheduling to evolve. That is... That's her word. She wanted things to, to evolve and said it would be something she'd be looking at. So subsequent to all of that, we had been making many, many approaches to the FFT, the French Tennis Federation, to interview Amélie Moresmo both ahead of the tournament. We were prepared to come out to Paris to do that. And during the tournament as well, we started making requests um, at the very start. And we didn't get very far until yesterday, when a note came through on the media WhatsApp group that Amelie Moresmo would be coming to the press mixed zone, which is not a formal press conference room. It's it's an area uh, with a backdrop where it's a bit of a bun fight, really, for journalists to sort of elbow other journalists out of the way for a place to shove your microphone under, under the interviewee's nose. We were told that Amelie Moresmo would be coming there after the women's final to speak to media. So there we all were. Um, and we'd had two weeks to think about what we wanted to ask Amelie Moresmo. So we all three were there with our microphones, had our questions planned. David, you asked her first a question about the women's final. Of course, she's a, a former world number one on the WTA Tour and Grand Slam champion. So you asked her first about her feelings on the women's final and... Iga Shiontek, the three-time champion, she gave a very good answer about that. She, she's got a, a great take on the game. But let's be honest, what we really wanted to ask her about pertains more to her role as tournament director here. And this was the conversation subsequent to that. Given the quality of that final and given that you are tournament director, I, I need to ask you about a year ago when there were 10 night session matches, nine of which featured men, one featured women. And you said at the time, we need to look at that. We need to m- maybe make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. 12 months later, same situation. Yeah. Why? Well, we still made some adjustment, not on the on the night sessions, but on the overall, um, how do you say, uh, prime slots, how we distributed um, after we talked last year, also how we distributed uh, women's matches and uh, men's matches. I think it was much more... Uh, balanced in the way we approach the things. Night sessions are still a little bit of a different uh, story because, as you know, there is only one one match. Uh, overall, we try and we do actually on on Chatrier and all the the courts to have anyway on the day uh, two two men and two women. So we we stick to that. Um, but yeah, we we <laughs> it's always uh, tough to to pick a match and maybe the length of the match is also one thing that we have to. Um, to uh, look at when we when we make the schedule and it's not always easy to to know in advance what's going to happen are you comfortable with the situation as it is at the moment the scheduling would you like it to evolve tomorrow i'm having a press conference about the whole tournament Uh, tonight i'm just talking about uh, today and tomorrow maybe so uh, 11 30 tomorrow morning i will be (laughs) answering those questions so That was how that conversation ended. It was news to us that there was going to be a formal press conference at 11.30 this morning. 
that is, I mean, that was far preferable to us and I think all the media that we would get to see, speak to her properly in that in that formal setting without sort of people's armpits in, <laughs> in our faces and our armpits in other people's faces. Um, but there we were at 11.30 this morning in the press conference room to continue that conversation with Amelie Moresmo and David had the first question. Hi, Emily. Uh, just continuing on the, the conversation we had yesterday um, in the mix zone, um, the night session has been promoted as the top build match of the tournament, the match of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Jessica Begula described the scheduling of only one women's match in 10 for the second year running as disappointing. Mm-hmm. And she said that she felt that women's tennis was undervalued against men's tennis. She said, okay, she said that. She said undervalued. Okay. And that was in a BBC... I didn't read that. When, when that was in a BBC it? Sport column of a few days ago. Okay. Um, how important is it for you to change that message from Roland Garros so that the, women's, the women are not well. undervalued? And if, if it is important to you, is that something that you would look to change in the future? I will also get back to what I was I was telling you yesterday um, regarding the all scheduling because the focus is really on this on these ten matches where obviously we have plenty of more matches to play on also prime slots not only this this prime slot that is the the, the evening match on uh, on Chatrier. And and definitely, this, in my opinion, and and we have numbers to support that. The apart from the night sessions, that the the, the prime slots were this time rebalancing also on what happened last year, much more uh, balanced between men and and women. So that is something uh, for us that that is important, definitely. Um, I hear that that she is disappointed with that. I just also want to say that. Some uh, of the high-profile players, that uh, women's players I'm talking about, that would be uh, our choices to put in the night matches, are not really keen to go have at night and are having different requests. We're not listening always to the requests. It's not what I'm saying, but we also try to arrange overall, whether they're men or women player, we try to arrange everyone if, if we can. So just, just I mean, I think you know that because I th- I saw some players also um, commenting on 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 this on this matter. Uh, so this doesn't make also our life easier in terms of. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. do, do all the men want to play at night? Not all. No, they also have requests. They do. That's, that's why I'm saying comes from 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 everyone, and yeah, sometimes we can uh, go uh, in the sense of the request. Sometimes we can't. That's, uh, but, yeah. Hi, Emily. Um, just following up on that, it's, it sounds that in your viewing the schedule as a whole with the, the three main courts, does that mean with the adjustments that you say you've made to that this year, mm-hmm. you are comfortable as 
you know, you described yourself last year as a, a champion of equality in the sport as a former women's... I described w- myself as a champion of a, equality? A, fighter, a big fighter for equals rights okay. and women's tennis. <laughs> That's your that yeah, was on yeah, the yeah. tennis channel last year. Does that mean you're comfortable? I think I've always have. I've always tried to do that in the past. Sure. So, g- given that, yes, are yeah. you comfortable with the equality in the I'm scheduling not, at the moment? I'm not. I'm comfortable with the uh, scheduling on the day. But yes, we can do better on the night matches. I don't know if that answers your 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 question, but. Because you gave me numbers last year and also on the day because it was more of an overall kind of a statement or, or facts that you were you were giving me last year. My point is this year that um, we put definitely way more uh, women matches on the prime slots in 2023. It doesn't make it perfect yet because of these night matches that are unique, that are, that are only one matches. And that's where I come to the length. And we talked about it last year also. Because when, when you look at it, uh, a, a men's match that goes in straight sets, it's still around probably one between one hour, 45, two hours, maybe a bit more, depends. And, and, and I think when you have only one match, it makes it difficult to... Um, yeah, to 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 schedule uh, something else. In fact, on on Philippe Chatrier, mm-hmm. in terms of the prime slots, the numbers are identical to last year. Yeah, are, well, you, are you comfortable with that? I'm comfortable with both ma- our two main courts. Two main courts, they were equal. Eight women started against six men started. Quite, we're almost the same. Not not fifty fifty exactly, but. I think we're much better than last year. Amelie, given the different length in the men's and the women's matches, as you pointed out, would you consider perhaps from next year having a women's singles followed by another women's singles or by a doubles match and a legends match in the evening session? Okay, so this takes me to why we put only one match in the evening. Um, And maybe I should have started with with this, really. Um, We think, I, I think, that putting... Uh, five matches on one court is too much. Uh, we don't want to finish too late. So then what would it mean if we keep it to four matches? It would mean two matches in the day session, two matches in the night sessions. Then we would have to either keep the same times because because we want to see the, the court, the stands uh, filled. But then the second match... You don't know when you start and you don't know especially what time you're going to finish. And here we don't want, we take this option, we don't want uh, the players to finish at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. This is not something we want to see here. So we move forward a little bit, 7 o'clock maybe, let's say, or 7.30, the night match. Then the stands are empty because in Paris people finish to work um, I don't know, 6.30, 7, maybe later, some, some of them. So that's 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 the problems that that we have to make uh, that we have to address. Um, and yes, putting a second women's match if you're if we talk about length, why not? But what if the first match is then ends up ends up to be two and a half hours? 
So there's no there's no perfect um, plan. I don't know if you if you <laughs> hear what what we are would we have to choose from. I don't think we should be compared to to what the U.S. Open is doing or to what the Australian Open is is doing in terms of um, putting those two matches at night. That's not. We don't want to finish that late. In fact, so that's yeah. That's why we chose to to stay with the one match uh, in the evening. But we we in fact put four matches on on Chatrier. That's basically what we do. So that ended up being the end of the English portion of the press conference. There were a couple of other questions. Uh, the second voice that you heard there was that of uh, Russell Fuller, David's comment uh, colleague at the BBC Radio, BBC's tennis correspondent. Um, there was then a French portion at the press conference. Matt didn't get to ask the question that he had lined up in the English portion. So he went in there in French. Go on, Matt. Uh, this is short, guys. I know a lot of you um, won't necessarily be able to follow this. It's short. Bear with us. Uh, we will translate it for you afterwards. But just just enjoy these this is one for the Matt Roberts fans out there. Bonjour, Amélie. Pardon, oui. j'ai pas reçu une question en, en anglais, donc je vais essayer de poser en français. Okay. Vous avez parlé de beaucoup de difficultés par rapport à avoir des matchs féminins pendant la, la séance de soir. Cependant, deux fois, vous avez réussi à avoir des, des matchs féminins. Donc, cela montre que vous pouvez surmonter les difficultés s'il y a la volonté d'avoir des matchs féminins. Donc, cela montre que le problème, ce n'est pas les difficultés, les problèmes logistiques, c'est plutôt la volonté. Qu'est-ce que, qu'est-ce que vous en pensez Ça, c'est pas une question. C'est -ce <rire> que un statement. Avez... Donc, est-ce que vous est avez que... la volonté votre... J'ai la volonté. J'ai beaucoup de volonté. <rire> J'ai beaucoup de volonté. C'est pas toujours simple. Après, je ne vais pas rentrer dans le détail de, de tout ce qui entre en ligne de compte pour, 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 faire, pour faire des programmations. Euh, mais voilà, j ai, j ai, je peux vous garantir que la volonté, je l'ai, mais que ce n'est pas simple. Now, the question from Matt there was, or perhaps, perhaps Matt should get the chance to, to, I was going to say, have your moment in the spotlight. Just, just continue in the spotlight, <laughs> Matt. Yeah, well, I basically said that, you know, Amelie had talked a lot about the difficulties and the challenges of of trying to get women's matches on at night. You know, I was referring to the fact there's only one match, the possible length of the match, what time people finish work in France, all of that that we'd heard her mention in her responses to your questions and Russell's. But I said, but the fact is you have still managed twice in the last two years to get a women's match on at night so that just shows that despite all those logistical problems it is perfectly possible for you to do it if you want to do it if you have the desire so I basically just said to her do you have the desire and she said that's a statement not a sort of stared you down and said that's a statement not a question um, but it was a question you said is there do you have the will, mm. the desire? And then she said, and this is now from the transcript, yes, I have the will. I have a lot of will. I have a strong will. It's not always simple. 
I'm not going to give you all the details, all that we have to factor in before we can schedule the tournament, but I guarantee that I have a will, but it's not simple. Which I found to be a real plot twist in this press conference. We haven't had much. It was all a bit of a whirlwind this morning. We haven't had all that much time to really bat this around amongst ourselves. But staggeringly to me, perhaps I shouldn't have been as as surprised and shocked as I was really. She had spent the whole press conference, even the, the mix zone brief chat that you were able to have with her yesterday, David, defending the scheduling, trying to sell it as an attempt at equality um which is nonsense but that's what she was trying to do it was almost as if she'd convinced herself that strides had been made this year because a few more men's matches had been scheduled first on long then but then in answer to your question Matt she kind of implied no, it's not good enough. Despite, you know, I had asked her, are you happy with things at the moment? Do you do you honestly think this is good enough? And she pretty much said said yeah and explained her explained her workings. Well, that wasn't what she said to you in answer to that question. She said I want things to be different. The will from me is for things to be different, but it's not easy, which is mixed messaging. Yeah, and I I do accept that it's not easy. Um, the job generally is not easy, and there are a lot of people she's trying to satisfy. I just think that this is too far down the list of priorities, and there's too many other things that she's trying to accommodate, and not this. And uh, I I can't lay claim to knowing everything that's going on behind the scenes because, as she said. I'm not going to go into all of them. But I really don't understand why there isn't a solution to this with a second match. Now, I accept that if you've got two three-hour uh, women's matches, we may end up in the middle of the night, and we've we've made our position clear on how unsatisfactory that is uh, at, at the Australian Open. But you can easily get a five-hour-plus match in a best-of-five-set men's match. My feeling is that I've just had a look at all of the mixed doubles draw and all of the duration of the matches and every time it goes one set all you have a match tie break in mixed doubles there is not one match that is more than an hour and a half not one in the entire draw so if you if you started play at uh what what is it 8 30 8 15 8 15 and you did get that three hour women's match and you ended up at 11 15 Yes, you, you could you could end up at a twelve forty five. You could end up with that with a mixed doubles following it or a one AM. And that isn't ideal, it is late but that's worst case scenario, really. You could have a mixed doubles after it, you could have a a legends match after it. And honestly, they if they want they can control how long that is because the players will just entertain. And if so if that's the point, if the point is the ticket value needs to be preserved and they need to be sure that they're going to get enough play. Well, you've got two events there. And you could always elongate them to or, or make sure they they correspond with the rest of the uh, the night sessions. I'm sure there are ways around this. The, the doubles don't get on centre court yeah. the whole tournament. 
Mm. The, the risk of finishing late doesn't seem to be an issue where when men's tennis is on the table. Mm. I, just, I just want to uh, just factually clarify a couple of the, the claims that were made there in, in, in the conversation that I had with Emily about the scheduling in the prime slots, as Emily Moresmo referred to it. Well, on Chatrier... Last, obviously, we know about the night session scheduling. It's been one match in 10 both years. Well, exactly the same is the case in terms of uh, the first match on Chatteret, which unquestionably, it look, of course, being on Chatteret is great. Unquestionably, that first slot, for a whole bunch of different reasons, the weird atmosphere because it's empty, because everyone's having lunch. And that's all right. It's okay for that to be empty, but it's not okay for well, you exactly. to start a bit earlier in the evening. And exactly. Empty. Apparently that's something that has to be protected at all costs, making sure that Parisians can get there after work so the stands are full. But it doesn't matter for first match of the day, which in 2022, 10 times out of 11, was a women's match. And in 2023, 10 times out of 11 was a women's match. Now, yes, over on Long Len. There were more men's matches first up, but we've only been watching French TV out here. I don't know what other broadcasters are doing, but that just means that French TV shows the men's match that's on Longlen and not the women's match that's on Chatteret. It I mean, I, I really hope that Moresmo doesn't hasn't genuinely convinced herself that that is equality, that there's no difference between Longlin and Chatrier because I didn't see any singles finals being played on Chatrier on on Longlin rather this weekend. That is not enough, and <laughs> no women will not settle for crumbs off the table. Maybe you'd settle for a few more crumbs if there was a stated intention to move more towards a full meal. But I'm not hearing that intention. That it's very alarming to hear. Well, there's a few men, more men's matches first on Long Len, so equality, mm. hooray! That is living in a different universe mm. to me. I know not every problem can be resolved overnight. I know that. I know scheduling is a nightmare. I know there are, as much as we try and understand, there are difficulties in being tournament director that we don't have a concept of that is a difficult job it's also a very well paid job one that comes with a lot of prestige and a lot of benefits this is what you're taking on i don't think this is good enough mm. yeah i i found it very hard to take maresma at her word when she said she had the will and the desire because i think the proof that you have that that equality really matters to you, that getting this right matters to you, is that you follow through on it when things are hard. And they are hard, but she's found a solution twice over the last uh, out of 20 matches. She can find it more, more than that if it matters to her. Well, and well, just what I want is for her to put more trust in women's tennis. The matches that were chosen were great, great matches. And loads of great women's matches happen in this tournament. Sure, there might be the occasional match that ends 6-2, 6-2 and is done in an hour and 10 minutes. But 
is that a lot less entertainment than a men's match that ends 6-2, 6-2, 6-2, and there's an extra half an hour of an uncompetitive set? I don't think so. And yet we've seemed to have come up with this idea that a whole extra set just makes it so much better and so much different. It, it, I, don't, I really don't think it does. And just if she would put a bit more trust in, in women's tennis and the great players that are in this tournament and give them the stage that they deserve, that top build match as they, as they describe it, that is what I want to see. That, is, that would be her showing that she has the will. And at the moment, her actions are not backing up her words in that respect. Um, I, I don't really understand why, also, if you don't want to schedule uh, a singles followed by a doubles, why can't you have a doubles in reserve on another court the way they do at Wimbledon, that if, mm. if you do go short, mm-hmm. you can move it across? Yeah, that and works if, well at Wimbledon, you know, doesn't um, it? And I realise they don't have a night session, but increasingly it's becoming not dissimilar, really. They're, they're often playing till 10 o'clock and further... Uh, at night there also and final thing on it the view that the women or some of the women have said they didn't want to play at night is something she used which um which i obviously pushed back on um i just i look i do find that disappointing that that uh, i think we've probably talked about that before uh, those that, that have said they don't because i feel like there's it shouldn't just be about what suits your schedule. You should think about the good of of the game and women's tennis. Um, but again, you are the tournament director. I'm quite sure plenty of the men don't want to play at night, but they just play where they're told. Just get them to play. Yeah. It was a demoralising warning, wasn't it? And but, but an important one. I, I hope that people understand why why we wanted to play mm. that. Because, look, we've we've talked about it enough. I tell you, we don't want to talk about this all the time. It's, oh, it's it, exhausting. It's, it's tiring, and, and I know some people are fed up of it. And I, I get that, but it's actually important. It's certainly important to, to us. I think it's important generally. We finally got to speak to her. That's what she had to say. And that happy note is where <laughs> we end the French Open 2023. It has, despite everything we discussed in the last 20 minutes been by and large an absolute joy hasn't it and we saw history being made today who knows where it will end up sitting in the pantheon of men's tennis will this be will we think of this as the crucial moment or will it just be oh Djokovic's fifth to last major (laughs) title who knows only the future knows um, but it's been a special fortnight, hasn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think we will remember it because of that 15-year chase to catch them up and overtake them. It is massive, really. And to be there, to describe it, to be here uh, with you both talking about it now on the night that it happened, I, I do find that a very special occasion. This podcast, as with all our podcasts throughout Roland Garros, 2023 has been brought to you in association with on location one last time folks the The premium premium hospitality hospitality and experience provider provider. thank you very much we all did it together once finally (laughs) on location is of course the official tour operator for the bmp paribas open at indian wells 
in March, the packages via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours for Indian Wells next year are now on sale. So if you'd like to go in style, experience that truly gorgeous backdrop for tennis, you've got the mountains, you've got the blue sky, you've got the sun, very little rain, uh, unlike this evening in Paris. It's, It's... it's perfection. Uh, if you'd like to go, stay in a four or five star hotel or accommodation, have great tickets to watch the tennis, access to a hospitality suite to relax in between matches, then go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the welcome to paradise section. Keep now up, you... David. Is that right? Sorry. Yeah. Gosh. I'm older than him. I'm not as quick off the mark. <laughs> it's the welcome to paradise section, folks. And trust me, it is aptly named. So thank you to On Location for sponsoring us all the way from the start of the Australian Open right up to now, the end of Roland Garros. They took us to Indian Wells. They've been a joy to partner with. And to all of you out there that have bought packages to go to Indian Wells or any other tennis event with On Location, you'll have a cracking time. Yeah. Really hope you enjoy it. You you will have a cracking time. I promise you that. Thank you. Well, maybe Matt, you should do the thank you to Wilson. Thank you, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> thank you, Wilson, for being uh, our partners throughout this role on Garros as well. Thank you to friends of the tennis podcast for sending us here, for allowing us to sit in this slightly muggy living room (laughs) in Paris for the second consecutive year, having experienced this wonderful Grand Slam, David, for the second time. We have lots of content coming for you, friends of the Tennis Podcast. We have a Roland Garros review show coming in a couple of days' time, complete with voice notes. I won't won't tease who the voice notes are coming from, but they'll be good. Because I need to get them first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's not let's not commit to anything not just in case they don't arrive. Um, uh, we've also recorded already a Q and A show. We recorded it uh, recorded it earlier on today for friends. It'll be going out later this week, and da 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 da. We can tell you we will be recording our fifth edition of Tennis Relived this year before Wimbledon, and it will be the story of Fred Perry. If you'd like to listen to all of those shows and 10 other shows already recorded this year exclusively for friends. And of course, you'll also be supporting us to keep doing this, to keep being here, to keep bringing you the important stories, the silly stories, the fun, the drama, the aggro, all of it, live, in person, on site from these tennis events. That's what you are doing by being a friend of the tennis podcast. And thank you to everybody that is already doing it. To, To become a friend... Go to tennis.supportingcast.fm. Tennis.supportingcast.fm. The link is also in our show notes. A few more thank yous, very important ones. Woolly for pole vault duty. Hey! I like everything about Woolly apart from the fact she does daily pole vault. She's, and of course, she's enthusiastic. Our, our video <laughs> clips as well. Thank you, Woolly. Cracking work as always. As it has been from Hannah on Twitter. God, we love Hannah. Yeah. We really love so Hannah. Good on you, Hannah. 
Gorana for doing our newsletter. That is not easy stuff. It is weird hours and uh, it's every day. And it is, it's Matt's stat, which is a precious commodity. Yeah. And she's had to send several apologies <laughs> as well, this tournament. So thank you, Gorana. <laughs> thank you ever so much to Gorana. Thank you to Phoebe, our French Open mascot. Phoebe, you have been a treat and a joy. Thank you to our mascots, Maisie, Xenia and Darwin. Respectable mid-table for us, Xenia. Oh, I've disgraced us, Maisie. I'm sorry. You're going to have to do the predictions next time. I'll, I'll maybe sponsor you. Uh, and podium finish, Darwin. Oh, all right. <laughs> Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. Billy Jean, I'm coming for you. I'll get to see that cute face tomorrow. Did I finish ahead of Reggie? I'm oh, bloody better. You did finish ahead of Reggie. Oh, thank God. For full Reggie details, subscribe to the newsletter. We have our top folks, Jamie, Hannah, and Drew. They are our executive producers. And we have our final French Open 2023 shout-outs. We have Ted Eckers, who is from Minnesota. All right, Ted. Hello, Ted. Like Minnes- Ted Tinling. Yes. Minnesota. Minnesota, isn't that how they say Minnesota? Minnesota. Y- yes, I think they do, Catherine. Thank you very much. With that accent. Ted says that he travelled to a tennis tournament for the first time last year, which was Cincinnati. He said, being inches away from Sabalenka and others and hearing the sound of the ball from their racket gave me even more love for the sport. Good on you, Ted. Thanks very much for being a friend. Thank you, Ted. Ted Robinson. Yes, Mm. the great broadcaster from many years at USA Network and now at Tennis Channel. Yeah. Good Ted. I'm out of Ted's. Super Ted. Good Ted knowledge. I was really into Super Ted as a kid. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Judy Singleton, who is from New Jersey. Right, Judy. Oh. We can only assume a Bruce fan. It has to be. Yeah. Like Judy Murray. Anything else on Judy? Judy says, my love of tennis comes from growing up, watching and discussing tennis with my dad. I discovered the tennis podcast a month after he died in 2019, and it was and continues to be a great comfort to me. Oh, thank you so much, Judy, that is lovely. I'm so sorry about losing your dad. Um, Thank you for sharing that. That's incredibly touching. Mm. And good news for you. Judy, like Judy Dalton, of the original nine. Yeah. Top that, David. That, that is very good. That mm. is very good. Okay. Judy Dalton was great value at the original nine <laughs> press conference yeah, in we need, Melbourne. Yeah, we need to have she? a chat with her sometime. <laughs> <laughs> She's fun. And finally, we've got Eric Johnson, who is in the US Air Force. Whoa! But currently stationed in Germany, moving to Washington, D.C. in the summer. Like John McEnroe's dad. Yes. He was in the U.S. military, and John McEnroe was born in Germany because he was stationed there. Yeah, that's right. Great fact. Eric, thanks very much. Like Eric Buterak. (laughs) Yes. Now a tournament 
director. Big wig at the US or, Open. Or a tournament something, yeah. yeah. And former doubles partner of Jamie Murray. Correct, because they used to be known as Stretch and Booty, would you believe? Did they? What? <laughs> Internally, yes. That was their, that was their team what do you name. you mean intern- Like between one another? You know how or- you've got Sitsidosa or whatever? Sitsidosa had a day today. <laughs> I fear they're well, going to have a day every up. day, but they've been active on Twitter. They've been active on Instagram. Okay. Hang on, we're quite committed to saying Badossa. Surely it's Sitsidosa. Yeah, it is. I was, yeah. uh, it's Sitsidosa. It's my yeah. fault. Just, I apologise. Sorry. Just, I feel like we're going to have to be talking about them a lot. So let's just let's just clear that we're up. We're quite committed because that's <laughs> the correct pronunciation. <laughs> Okay. Oh, and so let's end let's end our French Open on a real high because we do have news of who is doing the Sitsidosa filming. Do we? I thought we did. Do we? Oh, I thought we did. I think it's the fitness trainer. But I'm questioning my sources now because I thought my source was you. <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, we think I think I heard somewhere right. that it might be a fitness trainer. <laughs> Look. But it could be somebody else. <laughs> it's the hard-hitting journalism that you come to the tennis podcast for, right? It's, wow. What a note to end on. Thank you for sticking with us through the highs and the lows and the sitsadossa of it all. For friends, we'll be back in a couple of days. For everybody else, we will be back with our regular weekly show on Monday. We will speak to you soon. Oh,